0: Well, good morning. I keep saying it's not that hot in here. It's really not. They say they're going to get air conditioning in this building next year. That's the plan. But they said that last year, too, so we'll see. Um, So I want to get started this morning by reading a passage that we're going to be in for the next two weeks uh, as we kind of wrap up this series on Gospel Foundations. And today I'm going to talk about what is the church And next week, Brad's going to share from this same passage and talk about what is the mission of the church. And so if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 28, um, you can kind of leave it there, and then I may bounce around a couple places, but we'll keep coming back to this one. So if you want to leave it there, um, that's probably a good thing. Um, What we see is this is a very, uh, probably a familiar passage if you've been uh, in the church for any length of time. Um, It's Jesus' last words to his followers uh, before he ascends to heaven and he sits on the right hand. The throne of God. And in his final words, he reminds us, uh, what, what we're going to be about, and that really that it's not about us. That, that it's actually about him. And it's not about our own personal walk with God, but God's purpose is, is actually way bigger than that. It's bigger than God just saving you, um, and taking you to heaven when he dies, when, when you die. Um, what we see in this passage is that Jesus reminds his disciples and reminds us that They are who they are because of what He's done for them, and He tells them what they're going to be about. So I want to read uh, this passage, and then we'll we'll jump into it. So Matthew 28, verse 19, says this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me pray as we start. Spirit of Father, we ask that you would teach us this morning. Father, I pray that you would give us minds and hearts that would be open to what you want us to learn. Father, I pray that you would guide us. And Spirit, we pray that you would um, convict us and teach us and mold us into your image. And that as the church, we would live uh, as your people in this city. Father, we thank you that we get to gather in this place and that we get to be your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been calling this series Gospel Foundations. Um, we've been discussing key things that, that, that are true about God. Um, now these things are not only just true about God, um, but they're also super foundational in understanding who we, who we actually are. And if we don't have these things right, if we don't have a right understanding of who God is, if you remove this, this, these things, remove these Gospel Foundations from our, from our hearts or from our minds, uh, what happens in our lives is we misunderstand the actual reason for why we're placed on this earth. And not only were our whole understanding and our faith collapse, we'll really have nothing to build our lives upon. And, and, and except really, if, if we remove these things, the only thing we have to build our lives on is ourselves and our own understanding, um, which really essentially makes us the center of the universe, makes us God. And so, these things are, are really important. And please know, if you, if you make yourself God, if you, if you pick and choose what truths of God you want to believe, because some of them don't actually fit into your life or what the culture around us is selling, um, what, whatever else is true, if you don't believe them, if it doesn't make sense to you with God, it doesn't make them less true. God is not dependent on us believing these truths. He's secure, he's unchangeable, regardless of whether we acknowledge them or not. The foundation of who he is and what he says about, about humans is really, it's really unmovable. And it's reliable, and it actually gives us hope to actually build our lives upon. Now, some of you know this, um, but Jared mentioned last week, um, as he was sharing, that we're in the middle of, of building our home, or rebuilding our home. And so this idea of foundation is, is pretty visceral for us. Um, in fact, we kind of know what firsthand it looks like um, to have a broken foundation. As we went to build uh, upon our, our house, and, and you see some pictures up there. Yeah, that's that's my foundation. There's, there's a couple of them up there. Um, as we went to build the second floor on our home, we came across this. And it's kind of impossible to build a house that will be plumb and straight and stand the test of time with a crumbling Foundation, And we didn't know that this foundation existed like that. I had, I had a little idea about it, because I've been under my house a couple times. Um, I kind of saw little cracks uh, along the way, and, and there were some little things that, that kind of gave me an idea that maybe there was something. But it wasn't until we did some really deep work on our home that we uncovered the depth of this problem. And I think many times in our lives it can be the same way. We're going along life and we're thinking that everything is fine when we actually have some broken foundation that we're living on top of. Some some broken understanding about who God is. And it's subtly just causing our life to go in a different direction, just lean in a different direction, to go askew. And that causes us to live self-centered rather than God-centered. And we're, we're in constant need, I would say, of digging around in our hearts and allowing others to root around in our lives to see if there's any minor cracks or if there's any subtle beliefs that are undermining the actual truths of God. We're in constant need of reminders of these foundational truths. Often, over and over and over again, even if you've heard them a hundred times or a thousand times, you need to hear them again and again. And if you don't think you do, it's actually evidence that you actually do. Because one, as humans, one of our most dominant traits is pride and forgetfulness. It's why God says to his people, the nation of Israel, over and over and over again, and as we look through the stories, tell the stories of my faithfulness to the next generation. Write my ways on your doorposts. Wear them around your necks, celebrate these festivals, get together, remind your hearts, read my words, be reminded of my truths, and let or else you will think life is about you. And you will end up living in a way that is not the way I created you to live. And you won't live in peace and in joy and in love. You won't live in my identity. God says the same thing to his church in the New Testament. He says, share the gospel with one another. He says, Meet together regularly. It says, read and memorize my words. It says, celebrate communion over and over again as a reminder. We see all throughout Scripture, God is saying, this is who I am. This is who you are in light of who I am. You need to make sure that you go back to that foundation. It's the only thing that's going to keep you straight. It's the only thing that's going to allow you to live in my image. And if you if you don't think you're in need of hearing these things over and over again, you're really in pride. You're saying you're a person that's not in need, which I would say is anti-gospel. It's anti-the-gospel. I'd say Satan knows this as well. It's why his main tactic is to undermine God, is to subtly chip away at the foundation of who God is. And he doesn't usually do it all at once. He doesn't just bring like a like a sledgehammer or a wrecking ball and just like knock out a big hunk of your foundation. Sometimes he does that, but most often what he does is he, he slowly chips away, slowly tells lies, slowly gives half-truths and says, look over here, look at this thing over here. This is better than God. You should think about that. You should question whether God is true on this. You should question whether God is right. Did God really say that? Your life is not defined by God. Your life is defined by this, and over time, little tiny cracks in the foundation of our life and the foundation of our understanding of God start to appear. And either we're just going to hide them and say, or say, you know, that's really not that big a deal. It's just, it's just a little thing. Until actually, what happens is the rebar—well, it's not up there anymore—starts sticking out of the shelf. It's really a shell of the understanding of who, who God is and who we are in light of that. And so if this is the first time you've heard any of these gospel foundations, um, that's great. If it's the 10,000th time you've heard it, that's great as well that God continues to pursue you and remind you of who you are. So either way, we're both in need of being reminded of the gospel truth. I want to say there is no deeper understanding. There's no more an intellectual revelation or ascent. there's no past or present cultural reality, than the truth or the foundation of who God is and what He's done and who we are in light of that. So as we think about what is the church this morning, really this is one of the purposes of the church, that we would continue to point one another back to the truths of God, that we would remind each other, that we would gather together, that we would say, Look at these little cracks in your life so that we wouldn't end up worshiping ourselves or someone else or something else. We would only worship God himself. So what is the church? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what I said. What is, what's the, what's, what, what why do we, why do we need to talk about that? I want to say this is one of the the really most impo- one of the important truths and often one of the major cracks that leads people away from god is a misunderstanding of what the church is both those in the church and both those and those outside of the church so i say it's super important that we actually get this right super important that we get this right now the word church comes from the greek word ekklesia Right, which is usually defined as an assembly or called-out ones. It's been a body of people that believe the truths of God. So the church is the body of Christ, um, of which He's the head. We see this in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1.22 says it this way, And God placed all things under His feet, And appointed him to be head over everything for the church, that's ecclesia, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Ephesians tells us that the church is a people. It's a body with Christ as the head. Just as one side note here, this is why headship is so important. If you throw out headship, you have to throw out salvation, you have to throw out hope, you have to throw out identity, you have to throw out the whole gospel. If you take away headship the way, and the way that God has designed it to be, you've undermined the foundation of God. And it's the same thing that Satan has been subtly doing since the fall when he undermined the headship of God established within humans by coming to Eve. And he continues to get us to question the headship both in the church and in our culture. Often we get this question of headship of who actually is an authority. And so we see here in Ephesians that that the church is is a people. We see the same thing in Romans 5, I mean Romans 16, 5, where Paul says this, he says, Greet the church that is in their house. Now Paul's not sending a greeting to a building or to an organization, but he's rather sending it to a people that are meeting somewhere in a home. In scripture we see this idea of the church played out in two ways. First what we call the, the universal church. So it's made up, the universal church would be those made up of anyone who's trusted in Jesus. Marilla said this morning that people all over the world and people all over the West Coast are actually gathering together as God's people this morning. That makes up the universal church, all those who've trusted Jesus to take their punishment, to give them life, to restore the broken relationship they have with God. Those would be people that are in the universal church. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen reminds us of that. It says this, Since we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, so into one church, whether Jew or Greek, slave nor free, we were all given one spirit to drink. So thus, anybody who believes is part of the body of Christ. Anyone who's received the spirit of Christ is a, as a evidence that they're, that they're part of the same family, would make up the universe, universal church, they're part of the same believers of church. And we see that all over the world. It's why we pray for other countries. It's why why we encourage and we care for other people in other places. Second is, is this idea of the local church. And we see this all throughout the New Testament, where local bodies of people meet together. One place we see this is in Galatians. It's just an easy way to point this out. In Galatians 1, 1 and 2, Paul says this, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man." but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. So Paul is writing under the authority of God, not under his own authority, but actually words from God Spoken through Paul to many different local churches in the providence of Galatia to encourage them and to call them back to a gospel-centered foundation. And so local churches then are comprised of universal church members in a specific location who would meet together to be the body of Christ. Now this is not like rocket science that like, I'm sharing here this morning. And, and you probably have heard this before. And, and, and honestly, like no one disagrees upon this. Like people don't disagree, most, most most biblical scholars don't disagree that the church is actually a people and it's made up universally and locally. Yet, ironically, this foundational truth is so undermined in our culture and even in the majority of the universal church that the word church has an entirely different meaning. The word church has changed. The word church is, has had a semantic change or had a semantic drift, where the modern evolution of the word is actually radically different from the original use of what God has here in His Word. The word "church" has changed. If you if it changed if if you the if you go around and ask people what the word "church" means or what the church is, um, or if you look up in, in the dictionary or if you look up in Wikipedia today, it will tell you that that church is a building or it's a meeting. Or it's an organization, like, like the Catholic Church, or the Church of England, or the Lutheran Church. It's shifted from being defined as a people to a place in an organization. I want to say it's so pervasive in our society. Now, I know none of you would ever say this or do this, right? Because you've been here for a little bit. But if someone asked you what you did today, what you've been doing today, you say, oh, well, I got up this morning and I went to church. Or if you're really bold, you may say, you know, you want to come with me next week? Right? The foundation of the church has been so badly cracked that we don't even think that it's a big deal. We don't think it's a big deal anymore. And my guess is if you actually paid attention this week to your speech, you would be surprised how many times you used the cultural definition of church rather than the biblical definition of church. If you've been around here for any length of the time, you've probably heard someone up front say that we don't go to church, but we are the church and we gather as God's family. If you spend any time around here, you've probably been corrected gently, right? I know it happens in my house all the time. They're like, hey, Dad, we're going to do this. We're going to go to church. I'm like, where are you going? How are you going to go do that if that's who you are? Right? And they're like okay, Dad, and they kind of laugh it off. And I think, you know, we've had that many times around here, right? I know, Trip. it's the gathering, we're the church, when all the time we just kind of are passing this off and we're subtly perpetrating a lie to yourself and to others. You're subtly saying, it's not who you are, it's what you do. It's not who you are, it's what you do. It's not who you are. It's what you do. And we say it over and over and over again by how we use this word in our speech. And I want to say this is not just a pet peeve of mine. It's actually vitally important that we get this right. Because what you believe and what you say and what you teach with your word really do matter. And it will be demonstrated on how you live your life and what you actually think discipleship looks like. And what you think the church is supposed to look like, or do for you, or do for others. It's really important how we use this word. Language is important. It teaches us. This semantic change in the word church is very destructive. And it leads us away from, from, from our focus on things of God, to things of man. And it's not what... Jesus is calling people to here in Matthew 28 when he talks about discipleship. So let me stop for a second. I want to ask a question. If you believe you go to church, what does discipleship look like practically, if that's your base understanding, if you believe you go to church? What does discipleship look like? Attending a class. Attending a class. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, discipleship is is head information, and if I just come together and learn something, then I'm good. Yeah, what else? It's that you go through, so that part of yeah, discipleship is just, it's only it's only one part of my life, not all of it. Yeah, good. What else? Once I do it on my schedule, I'm done. It's a scheduled thing that when it's done, I check it off my Okay? Yeah, it's just something I check off that I'm in, that's, that's compartmentalized something part of my life. Yeah, what else? Okay, it's a service that's provided for you rather than something you're actively engaging in. Okay, good. Someone else has... Yeah, it's only, it's only important at certain points of time, right? It's, it's this idea that, that, that I, I'll beco- basically become a confessional people primarily, not actually an obedient people. Yeah, good. What else? I think that we believe that we, think we have to bring people to it rather than go to people. Yeah, we have to bring people to it. It makes professional Christians. Mm, right? Only those who are educated in the Bible can actually lead. Or leaders have to have it all together or not show any need or any weakness. Or it becomes all about the preaching. My discipleship is is not a tool. I need to invite them in to go hear an expert. Hmm. What else? Okay. Yeah, good. Good. It could be something that you're inviting people into. Okay? Yeah, what else? I could talk about it for a while, so I I got plenty of points up here. Ironically, you don't... If it's a thing you go to or a thing you consume, you actually never... uh, the things that you learn. You know, like the, the knowledge stays in that place. And when you're outside of that place uh, or outside of those people, you basically just like blend into the background of society. Mm. Yeah, we, we never actually do the things that we're being taught or things that we know up here. Which I want to say probably is legalism and can lead to legalism. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say all this misunderstanding um, of, of the idea of what the church is, is really a misunderstanding in the basic theology of the priesthood of all believers. That the church is not just a few people who get paid to run it, but the church is actually the body of Christ, the people of God. And our theological understanding of this will get worked out in how we live. You see, if... if if the church, if the body of Christ is just a service that one attends or where we go and watch someone else do church for them, then our fundamental theology will be, I go to church. And, and the people who run it are are the church or or that's the building where, where I go attend. You see, the problem is when we fall into this trap where the church becomes a building or a meeting or an organization, it can quickly uh, lead to the church being defined by what it does, not who it is. When this is the case, any, any type of form or activity of the church becomes the most important thing. I want to say it's often how we go and look and try to find a church. Right? We, we, go and we go and we pick it based on, on how it makes us feel. Do they have good music? Do they have good preaching? Are there lots of people that are in my same age group how does this make me feel when I when I get out of it? How do I feel about it? Now, some of those things are not wrong, but if that's our central focus, it becomes very individually focused. And I want to say that's really where man is the head of the church, and where headship of man is actually masked as headship of Jesus. If we fall into those things and define it that way, the foundation and true understanding of the church of who of the understanding of who the church is needs to be repaired. It needs to be restored to what God originally laid it out to be in Scripture. If you go back to Matthew 28, we'll see that, that we are the church based on what Jesus has done in giving us new life and giving us a new identity. And that out of that, we then live a life of discipleship and in love because we've been deeply loved by Him. You see, when we understand that the church is not a place or an organization, but actually a people... It will move us from, from a confessional faith, which which really where we earn our favor, um, where we're really earning our favor, um, to a selfless place living out of unearned favor. Right? It's a, a living from a place of grace. We must remember and live within the understanding that we are who we are because of what Jesus has done for us, not anything that we've done for ourselves. Really, that is the definition of the church. We've, we've kind of written it down this way as a, as a family of churches. Um, it says this is the definition of the church. A gospel people that believe the gospel, who form a community around the gospel, and who demonstrate the gospel in everyday life so that their world may know that the Father sent the Son. It means that as the church, we become a people that preach the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, his power to redeem and His power to restore wherever we go, whatever place we're in all the time. Whether that's your workplace or your school or in this place or in our community groups or whatever it may be, we're continually preaching the good news of God's power to restore and to redeem over and over and over again. It's exactly what John thirteen thirty four says this, A new commandment that I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's this idea that we display the gospel message of restoration by the way that we love one another continually. How we live out our lives of restoration in community displays the gospel and displays the oneness of God. You see, you can't display this oneness and the gospel of restoration individually. It's not displayed in isolation. You can't. It's impossible to do that. It's why God set up the church, that the gospel is displayed in community. You can't display a gospel that's about about restoration and reconciliation if you're not reconciled to anyone. If you're just by yourself all the time, then all is all good. When I'm by myself and no one has to, I don't have to interact with anyone, like no one tells me my crap is bad. No one tells me that this is wrong. No one tells me that that I'm not living the right way and I'm not ever actually restored to anyone. What Jesus is telling us here in Matthew is that what the journey of restoration looks like. It looks like humans walking in a new identity in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, who are making disciples and baptizing them into the identity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's this idea of discipleship is, is one who's committed to becoming like the one they follow. When he says disciples here, he says the disciple is, is one that says, I love Jesus. I know Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. I want to do what Jesus says. I want to learn what Jesus taught. I want my whole life to be about Jesus. I want to be immersed in Jesus all the time. What Jesus is saying, this is what a disciple looks like in Matthew here. He's saying one whose whole life is immersed in the Trinity, who's baptized into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's why we say often that we're a family of missionary servants, that these are identities that we get from the Trinity. Notice here, you guys said this when we were talking that discipleship is not just head knowledge. It's not just pumping people full of a bunch of information in this passage. It says teaching them to obey. Basically, teaching them to walk in their new identity in obedience. So, discipleship is not a class that we go to in a church where we take it for six weeks and we get all the doctrine straight and then we're done. That's not it. No, Jesus' definition here is walking in the everyday things of life, teaching people how to live in their gospel identity as the church. And that's what the church is. It's the church's disciples of Jesus, making more disciples of Jesus, walking in his image, talking about Jesus, reminding each other, pointing out the cracks, restoring the pieces of foundation that are broken in the power of the Spirit. And I know I've said this many times, but it needs to be said again. All of life is discipleship. All of life is discipleship. We are discipling people all the time. You're discipling them into something every moment of life. From the time that you meet them to the time that you die. And the question becomes, what are we discipling them into? Are we discipling them into To our culture? Into ourselves? Are we discipling them to make them look like me? Are we discipling them into the the culture of our church? Are we discipling them in God's image? And we need to ask one another and look at one another's lives and ask, who is the head of your life? Is it Jesus or something or someone else? Is it Jesus? See, here at Soma, we don't have a local church membership. We have what's called a covenant community. Now, that may sound like semantics again, but it's far from the case. Let's say language is really important. You see, if you become a member of a local club or an organization, even the, or even the modern definition of church, it's this idea that membership is in exchange for goods and services. That's really what membership often means. When I get a, an Amazon membership, I get to have all the stuff, I get to have my stuff shipped for free and I get to watch all the videos that I can watch in like three days and then there's nothing else on there that I want to see anymore, <laughs> right? Like that's how it works and now I'm like I'm stuck with this but at least I get free like shipping, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I guess you can get that too. There's some good stuff on Amazon. Um... Maybe. I don't know. Maybe we buy too much stuff there. Um, but anyway, this idea of membership is, is really this idea. When Jess and I, before we had kids, um, we used to belong to the Philadelphia Canoe Club. And we did We did a lot of whitewater canoe... What's that? Yeah, it's surprising. You didn't know that, huh? We used to do a lot of whitewater kayaking. And we would... We- we were good. We could flip over and do tricks, and it was fancy. And then kids came along, and what did you do? I can't even get my kayak anymore. Um, but basically, what happened was right, people people were put in charge of this organization, and they put on trainings. They taught us how to kayak. We attended them. They planned some trips. We went on. We we were members of the club. We hung out with some people. Sometimes we hung out with them actually outside of the club. But the reality is, we were actually just consumers. We had no, no serious ties to the club as a whole. And so they provided something that we enjoyed. And so we hung out until it became inconvenient for our personal lifestyle. I want to say, as we think about the church, that is not how we're called to live being just consumers who hang out for a little while till it doesn't fit with our lifestyle. If you're in Jesus, if you're, if you're in Christ, you're already a member of His body. We are the church. And as part of His church, as followers of His church around the world, we also believe that the Bible teaches that God has called people to a local area to be family with one another. And so when we talk about a covenant community, what we're saying is that we're a group of people that want to be together, to want to live as family together, to be on mission together, to, to choose to be family together, to not just taste it or get a little sniff of it here or there or little hints of it, but that we would deeply know and experience what it's like to live life as the church together. To be a kind of people that, that care for one another deeply. That really live in community with one another. And not just on a Sunday morning as we attend a gathering, but, but restoring one's lives all throughout the week so that we can be the church. And can I say, it's what God has always wanted for His people. It's what His restoration plan is all about that he would restore us and teach us and bring us back in where we would learn to live in the way that he created us to live, and that we would disciple others in that way. It's the same thing we see God call his family, from Adam and Eve to the children of Israel to the church. It hasn't changed. It's what he's always wanted for his people, that out of love for each other we would love one another and out of his love for us we would love one another and we would do whatever it takes to to live in that love um, for each other but also in the city around us so they would see what it looks like to be a part of the family of God that those on the outside would be invited into a family that loves deeply and cares deeply for one another and that they would be eager and that we would be eager to run into relationship with one another because of what Jesus has done for us. As we think about covenant, just just for clarity's sake, what a covenant means is is a covenant is agreement that has has two sides. It says, I will do this, and you will do this. It's not just a covenant with, with leadership like membership. Rather, it's entering into a covenant with one another. It's calling us to be family, to say, I will be your brother. I will be your sister. I will care for you. I will learn to live with you. I will learn to invite you into my life this way. So it's not merely just attending a service. It's not just giving of your your dues or your offerings. It's actually coming together as a family of people that believe we're actually called to be on mission, to serve our city, and to be better equipped daily to do that every day. That we would get our foundations restored and reminded of often. That as the church, we need to continually ask the question, how do we best make disciples who would believe the gospel? Who would, who would not just believe it, but they would declare it and they would display the gospel. That, that they would disciple others in the gospel so that we can be the church together on mission in order that Jesus would receive the glory. That he would be celebrated, not us. Or not our knowledge of him or our good deeds that we may do that kind of look like him. It's why we take time once a month in our gathering that we call Celebration Sunday, to eat as a family together, but also to celebrate who God is and to talk about what He's doing in our midst. In, in First Chronicles 16, it says this, and God, God tells them to do this as a way to, to, to firm back up their foundation. He says, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He's to be feared above all Gods. He's the one to talk about. He's the one to tell the deeds of. He's the one to be worshipped, not people or not the things that they may do. It's not not this, this church. Right? We live in this hero culture, especially in LA. And if I'm honest, I think sometimes even on celebration Sunday. I hear subtly how we share we're worshiping the community, or we worship individuals who, who don't deserve the glory that God does. And I want to make sure that we're careful and that, we, that we're clear on that God is the one that gets the glory when we use the words that come out of our mouth. That the church is His people and what we do is we point others to Him, not to us and what we're doing or what someone else is doing. So we want to give God the glory that he is due as his people, as the church. And so I want to stop, and I want to give us some time to do that this morning. I know usually we do that on the front end, but we're going to do it on the back end because I wanted to switch it up because we're talking about the church, right? And so I want to take some time to stop that and to share what's going on in your life and how God is the one to worship in the midst of whatever is going on in your life. To celebrate his goodness in our lives in the midst of the good or the midst of the bad. And as we share, let's make sure we do it in a manner where God gets the glory for what he's done. And that even if we see evidence of his grace in the life of someone else... We can share that, but let's make sure that he gets the glory in the midst of that sharing. So so what are some things that we can bring glory and praise and honor to God this morning for what he's doing in our midst, or what he's doing in the city, or what do you see him doing uh, in your own life? What are some things? What are some evidence of his grace in your life today? So I want to pray, and then I'll ask my brother to come up, and we'll continue. Remind each other that we are the church as we go to communion. Oh, Father, thank you that um, we get to talk about you this morning, that we get to talk about um, not just your good deeds, but you yourself. That you are a good, gracious Father that loves us and pursues us and, and offers hope and joy. Father, thank you that you give us the Spirit. Um, that you give us Jesus to take our place. Father, I pray that we would not seek anything else but you, and that we put our hope and trust in you only. Father, we thank you that we get to be the church this morning. Pray that we continue to celebrate that. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.